was a man named Solomon who built a mighty temple. But before long, the people of Judah turned away from God and began to worship foreign gods and idols. One day, God allowed the Babylonians to attack Judah and destroy the whole city, including God's temple. The people of Judah remained in captivity until one day, God raised up the prophet Haggai to inspire the people to get back to work, saying, the time is now. Well, hi, guys. Welcome to Fur Road. Um, especially welcome those who are new here today. Uh, we're so glad that you joined us. We're in week three of our uh, once-in-a-lifetime experience of working through the book of Haggai, right? This may be the only sermon series that you ever hear on the book of Haggai, so you've got to listen close. Um, it's one of those books that we normally just kind of gloss over, and it's just a short two-chapter book towards the end of the Old Testament, but God put it there for a reason, right? Just like a, a, any of the books, and we can learn for, from any book of the Bible if we know what we're looking for, and, and so uh, I think God has some good things to say from the book of Haggai. Um, you know, you never know what you're going to learn each day, and so I wanted to share a few facts with you today to make sure that you go away, uh, you learn something, okay? This has nothing to do with the Bible, but hey. So here's a few random facts just for fun today. Uh, did you know that when hippos are upset, their sweat turns red? Okay, okay, did you know that? Did you know that what a flock of uh, crows is called? Anybody know? A murder, good. See, some of you are with it. Uh, did you know that the average woman uses her height in lipstick every five years? Okay, you might have to think about that one for a minute. Okay, okay, yeah, that's a lot of lipstick. Um, did you know that during your lifetime you'll produce enough saliva to, to fill two swimming pools? Cool stuff, huh? Did you know that in 2015 more people were killed from injuries sustained while taking selfies than were killed by shark attacks? Doesn't surprise you, does it? No. Did you know that heart attacks are most likely to happen on Mondays? I don't know. So be careful tomorrow. Um, did you know that a small child could swim through the veins of a blue whale? Okay, that's how big those veins are. Okay, I don't know why they'd want to, but they could, in, in theory. Um, did you know that you'll spend about 38 days brushing your teeth in your lifetime? So, it's a, yeah, 38 days wasted brushing, no. Did you know that the average person walks the equivalent of two times around the earth in their lifetime? Okay, so, so there you go. Somebody might ask you what the sermon was about today, and you'll say, I don't know, but I found out how much saliva I produce in my lifetime. So here we go, just a, a quick overview once again. The first Jewish temple was destroyed by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this was a huge blow to the Jewish people, and... Uh, um, then for five decades, they were in captivity. And if, if you uh, um, remember, finally, some of them were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to, to begin to rebuild their own lives and to rebuild the temple. And so they started doing that, and they, they, they started strong. They built the foundation of the temple. They built the altar, but then they faced some opposition, and, and they stopped working on the temple. They started working on their own houses. So for 14 years, they're doing their own thing. God spoke through the prophet Haggai, and he told the people to get back to work on the temple. 
he said, hey, the, the time is now. It's time to build the temple. And so they started building again, but they got discouraged pretty quickly, and it, it wasn't anything like the old temple that some of them had still remembered. And so as we pick things up this week, and we read between the lines of what was going on, it's kind of this. They were trying to do what God wanted them to do, but it wasn't going very well, at least in their minds. And they were trying to listen to God, but they just weren't making much, much progress. So is it really even worth it uh, serving God and obeying God? And, and I think that sometimes we struggle with this too. I'm trying to do the right thing, but my life is still not turning out the way I, I wanted it to. And, and maybe you know some people who basically said, you know, I tried going to church. I, I tried uh, getting my life on track. I tried to do the right thing, but I still have problems, so I, I gave up. Uh, maybe you've been there yourself at times in your life. And so, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing for God. So, so why is God still letting these bad things happen to me? And so we kind of say, you know, if God's not going to do his part, then I don't want to do my part. I'm not going to make these sacrifices if they aren't going to do me any good. And, and so we tend to kind of put conditions on our obedience to God. And so in your notes, here's the problem that I want to talk about, and, and it's the, the problem that the Jewish people were dealing with, and the problem is this, conditional obedience to God. God, I'm on board as long as you're doing your part and things are, start to go like I, I think they should go, otherwise I'm out. And so kind of two areas of conditional obedience. First one is this, I will obey as long as things are going my way. Okay? And if I'm going to make sacrifices for you, God, you, you better have my back here. My, my relationships better improve. My finances better improve. Uh, the pain I'm dealing with better go away. But if th those things don't happen, then I, I might just have to walk away. Okay, God, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Second area. I will obey as long as it doesn't cost me too much. Hey, let me illustrate here. Let's say you... Uh, you see a need, you feel like God wants you to help meet that need uh, with whatever is in your wallet at the time. You, and, and so you say, okay, and you open up your wallet and there's $5. And you're, you're kind of like, oh, good, I only have $5. So you give them the $5 and you walk away. Um, but, but what if the same thing happened? You felt like you should meet a need and you had $100 in your wallet. And... And you're thinking, wait a minute, God. Okay, I, I just got paid. I got this cash out. I, I have these, these bills to worry about. And, and, and I earned this money. I worked hard for this. And, and so, I, no, I'm, I can't do that much, God. And so basically you're saying you have $5 obedience to God and not $100 obedience. Okay? And, and so if it costs me too much or makes me too uncomfortable, then I'm out. And what happens is you kind of start to, to develop selective listening with God. We hear God when we want to, uh, but, but when it seems like too much, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm hearing God right. You know, kids are really good at selective listening, right? If you're yelling for your kids, hey, I need some help with laundry or, or picking up, for some reason they can't hear you, right? I, but then if you could whisper hey, we're going to go get ice cream. And they come running, right? So all of a sudden they can hear it. And, and we do that with God. We, we hear what we want to from God. And we, we even do that with Bible verses, 
There's verses we pick and choose that we like. We love verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And we're like, oh, yeah, I like that verse, right? Yeah, I I want God to prosper me, even though that's kind of taking this out of context for what was going on in that. But that verse about forgiving my enemies, we read that and we're like, ah, man, God, you don't understand how bad my enemies are. They're they're really bad people. And and so we don't like that verse. And so we we kind of pick and choose. And so it's so easy to have conditional obedience. But here's the thing. the, The Bible has so much good stuff in there, but it's not full of just suggestions to consider from God, right? It's not like, oh, man. I might think about that if I get around to it, but it's full of commands to obey, and these commands aren't designed to hurt us. They're, help, they're designed to help us to live a life of fully loving God and following God. And so we're going to see here in Haggai how God describes the, the, the corruptive power of sin to, to his people. And the Israelites, they experienced this corruptive power of sin as a nation over several hundred years. And they turned away from God. They worshipped idols. Their their hearts were hardened. And they were not fully committed to God. And so in our story in Haggai, they they put God's job that he had given them on hold. And they started building their own fancy houses. And so Haggai asked them some questions. And they they seem a little weird to us, but but I'll explain in a minute. But So let's go to chapter 2, verse 12. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. So what are they talking about here? Well, the priest, when he was going to to make sacrifices with um, meat in the Old Testament, they would wear these long flowing robes, and they would actually take that meat and kind of wrap it in the robe to protect it as they were going to the altar. And so Haggai is asking if if this robe, which is considered holy, if it rubs against something that was unholy, would the holiness rub off and make that thing holy? And the priests say, no. Okay, no, it doesn't rub off. It doesn't work that way. It'd be like saying if I wash my hands really well and they're really clean and then I touch something that is dirty, does it make that dirty thing clean? And, of course, it doesn't, right? No. And, and so, and then he asks another question in verse 13. He kind of comes at it from the other way. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. So now he goes the other way. Does a dirty thing make a clean thing dirty? And the answer is yes, of course it does. So, so what's he doing here? I think he's basically showing us that, that sin, it, it spreads like a disease. He, he's talking about the corruptive power of sin. Uh, Paul said something very similar to this in, in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, Do not be mis- misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He didn't say good company cleanses bad character. Okay, it usually happens the other way. Bad um, character corrupts good character. Have you ever spilled spaghetti sauce on a white shirt? Okay, it's a mess, right? Even like just a little bit, you can be wrapping the 
noodles around your fork and it splatters on your shirt and, and it gets it all dirty and then it's really hard to get that spaghetti sauce out and um, maybe sometimes impossible to ever get it clean again the truth is that I, I can spill food onto about any shirt and make it messy I am a messy eater and uh, I have embarrassed my wife many times at restaurants and in fact I think just yesterday she said you amaze me how do you do that and, and, and I don't know I, it just happens, but I eat pretty fast, and, and uh, so I get stuff messy. It's just the way I am, okay? Um, and popcorn? I, any of you messy popcorn eaters? Yeah, see, when I eat popcorn, I'm going for it, right? Like, I go the whole handful and get it, and you know, ah, oh, man. And none of this, like, little two pieces, mm, I love my popcorn. No, you got to eat it, right? And, and so sometimes... You know, when you're, you're, you're going for it, you spill a little bit. So it just happens. And um, you might as well enjoy your popcorn when you're eating your popcorn. And, and that's, that's the way it's going to be, right? Okay. So uh, back to sin. It, it's, it's sin makes, tends to make everything messy that it comes into contact with. It, it stains everything it touches. And, and so that's what what Haggai is talking about with Israel everything they did was defiled by sin and it had a big impact on their nation over time but the biggest issue was that their hearts weren't completely with God and because of that pretty much everything went wrong and even when they came back to rebuild the temple their hearts weren't completely in it yet they weren't totally committed to it because at the first sign of trouble remember they're out okay we're done and so they had partial obedience, but not full obedience. They had $5 obedience, not $100 obedience. It's kind of like the story of the, the rich young ruler in the New Testament. You remember that? He was asking Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And, and, and the, the ruler you know, thought he was doing pretty good because he was keeping all the basic commandments. And remember Jesus? He said, well, you know, if you really want to follow me, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. And uh, he went away sad because he had, had great possessions. And, and thinking, you know, surely Jesus, you don't realize what you're asking me here. I have a lot. And so the rich young ruler, he had $5 obedience, but not $100 obedience. He was willing to partially obey God, but not fully obey him. And I think we do that a lot with American Christianity. We're, we're on board as long as it doesn't hurt too much or maybe you know change our lives in any way but here's what we need to understand about our obedience to God this is big there's there's a ton of reasons why we should fully obey God but I want to point out a couple of them today first reason we should fully obey God is that he is worthy of our obedience right you know we would not even be here without God I mean, this whole world, the creation, everything. We are a part of his amazing creations. And sometimes I just marvel at the things I see. And you just say, wow, God did that. And, you know, we would be lost forever without God's love for us. God made us to have free will. Okay, that's the way he chose to make us. The Israelites chose to rebel against God. And it cost them greatly. But all of us. 
the Bible tells us, have, have chosen to rebel against God. And, and without Jesus, we would be separated from God for all eternity. But because of God's love for us, he sent his son to die for us, that we have the chance to be made right with God once again through Jesus. It's not automatic. He still gives us free will on whether or not to follow him, and, and some choose not to. But then the cool thing, remember we talked about last week, when you do follow Jesus, we become the new temples of God, the, the dwelling place for God, and his glory shines through us. And so God is worthy of full obedience. And then we should fully obey God because we love him. It's what you do. It's really all about the heart. Our, our obedience should stem out of, out of our love for him. But listen to this. This is important. We do not obey God for what he will do for us. Okay? We don't obey God for what he will do for us. We don't obey God because we might get something out of it. Okay, we, we don't obey God so that we might, he might bless us material, materially somehow. We obey God because we love him and we want to honor him and, and we want to say, this is how I want to live for the God of the universe. I want to be obedient to him. And that's why it's so important to get our hearts right with God. We obey him because we love him. Haggai reminds the, the people in, in verse 15 what was going on before. He says, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Okay, we, we hear this several times through the, these chapters. Consider this. I want you to think about this. And then verse 16, he says, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So basically, they were working their tails off for themselves and not doing what God wanted them to do. And God said, uh-uh, it's not how this works. So God allowed some things to happen to them to try and get their attention. God was trying to restore the people fully to him. He was basically punishing them for their lack of obedience to him. And, and we really don't like this picture of God, right? We don't like that God. He, he's saying, I sent this blight and mildew and hail to, to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. And, and they, they were. They were working hard, but they were working for themselves. And so God sent these things to help them realize that their, their hearts were not in the right place. We prefer just the, the loving God, the, right? The God of grace and compassion. And so, so we tend to say things like, well, how could a good God let these things happen to me? But what I've found is that God doesn't always change your negative situation. And sometimes that is because God is trying to change your heart. Okay, and this is kind of a tricky theological territory here. We, we have to be a little careful. I'm not saying that everything that is bad that is going on in your life is something that, you know, God's trying to get, get your attention and you deserve this. Um, but sometimes God may allow something bad with the purpose of getting our attention and to draw our hearts back to him. You know, a lot of times bad things are a result of our, our spiritual enemy attacking 
and doing his thing and, and uh, uh, that's part of living in a sinful broken world sometimes bad things happen as a consequence of uh, just doing dumb things that we do right okay we can't blame anybody else but ourselves when I was in college one time I, I was driving this little blue Subaru I had and came to a light and I wasn't paying attention and I went right through the red light and this car would come the other way smacked into me and my poor little Subaru was never the same again but it but it was my fault okay it wasn't like I say oh God why didn't you stop that car you know God says why didn't you stop at the red light Dan okay so sometimes we just do dumb things But what we're saying in this situation, though, is that the people's hearts were turned away from God and God allowed or even caused some things with the intention of turning their hearts back to him. After they stopped working on the temple and started worrying about themselves, God didn't really allow them to, to prosper. They, they planted their crops. They didn't go well. The, there was a drought and they were trying to make money, but it was like there was holes in their pockets. And in this case, God caused or allowed these things to happen. You see, sometimes God may not change your negative situation right away because he's trying to change your heart first. We do this as parents all the time, right? If, if your kid makes a bad choice, you don't reward the choice, do you? Okay, if your child gets a hold of a red marker and goes to their bedroom and draws on the wall, you don't grab a green marker and say hey why don't you make it a little more colorful <laughs> add some you know make it look like Christmas tree no you take the markers away right and you have some kind of punishment for them if, if they're making bad choices with their phone you take their phone away okay you don't say oh well that's okay you know you try better next time sometimes you have to you know make things a little difficult the Jewish people were making poor choices so God was trying to get their attention and God didn't have this elaborate plan that they had to do before he would bless them again. He didn't say, like, there's 52 hoops you need to jump through, and then I'll think about this. Remember the, the three things that he talked about? I want you to go up the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house. Okay? That, that's, this is all your simple instructions that you need to do. And then last week we talked about being strong. And, and doing the work that God puts before them. And then today, God has this one more simple message. It says, more than anything else, I, I want your heart. I want your heart. It's still what God wants with us today. He wants our hearts. And so let me read a little more. And it's a little confusing, but I'll explain it, what I believe is going on. Verse 18. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Here we go. Think. He wants you to think about this. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Here's what I think is going on here. I, I think as we look at this, they did listen to God. They did turn their hearts back to God at this point. And the last phrase is huge. He said, from this day on, I will bless you. He blessed them. They got their hearts right finally and God blessed them. God's blessings are a natural outpouring of obedience. You know, over in the New Testament, Jesus often had issues with the Pharisees. 
because they were all about appearances on the outside. And, but on the inside, they didn't really love God with all their hearts, and I think that was the core of the issue. And one time Jesus quoted from the book of Isaiah when he was talking about the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 8, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And so they, they were completely missing the boat. It's not all about appearances. Appearances can be very misleading, right? Back in Haggai, God is saying this to them. Even though they hadn't finished the temple yet, even though they, they hadn't really done anything to deserve God's blessing yet, their hearts had changed. They hadn't harvested their grain and their grapes and their, their figs and pomegranates and, and olive trees. They hadn't even planted some of the seeds yet. But there's still a lot of work to do, just like there was a lot of work to do on the temple. But because their hearts had turned back to God, he was promising to bless them. And they would indeed go on to complete the temple that they started. So I want to ask you today, where are your hearts? My guess is that most of us here at least are trying to partially obey God. Okay, you're, you're here at church this morning. Uh, you're trying to do the right thing. But if most of us were honest about it, our obedience is, is somewhat conditional. And so today, um, I want you to think about, do you need to change the word conditional to full obedience? This week I uh, went to Helping Hands on Wednesday once a month. I, I go there, they like to have a um, pastor there uh, as often as possible. And so I often pray with people or talk about them, what's going on. And there was a guy that came in and uh, just really dirty, and but he had a good attitude. I mean, just really positive person. I was talking to him. I took his groceries out, and uh, he's kind of explained his situation. He builds cars and uh, lived down in Arkansas, and uh, his landlord basically rented out his shop from under him. And he had three days to get out of his shop and really lost everything. And, you know, I'm sure there's more to the story, too. But So he had a friend up here that had a shop that he said he could come and kind of start over here. But at this point, he really didn't have anything. And so I had talked to him after and said, hey, can I get, get you anything else? And he just, no, I'm good. I'll be fine. But, but I've just been over the next day just praying about, okay, you know, God, what's it look like to be fully obedient to you? And and I, I was hesitant to tell this story because I don't want to look like I'm tooting my own horn because I, there's oftentimes I fail. I don't fully obe obey God, but I think this time I got it right. So the next day I was driving along, and, and so he also said that he, he was sleeping on the floor of his shop. He didn't even have anything. And so I drove by a, a yard sale, and there was a mattress out there. And, and so I thought, well, you know, maybe I could maybe – see if he wants that and so I was going to go I wasn't even sure where he lived and I wasn't even sure if I remembered his name right and so I, I, I was driving it was on Joplin Street and looking around and I'm not sure where it's at and I'm thinking okay I could go up to this place but no that's dumb I'm going to go up there and knock on the door and uh, were you at Helping Hands or do you know some guy blah 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 I'm thinking I'm going to look like an idiot but so it's, but it kept saying fully obedient man fully obedient so so I went to this place and it was the right place. 
And so there he was. And so I s started talking to him and, and I said, hey, this mattress is there. Would that be helpful to you? And, and, you know, he was still like, oh, I'll be fine. And I'm like, no, would you let me help you? And so, so I went and I, I got the mattress, but then I'm thinking, man, that's, that's not very much, Dan. You can do more than that. So came home and got some stuff and got some deer meat and got an electric skillet and rounded up a microwave and different things and, and, and took it back to Kenton. And uh, he was just blown away. And, and just to see him, you know, thinking, what, you really did this for me. So uh, prayed with him and uh, had a great talk with him. As I'm leaving, I feel like God's saying, Dan, he doesn't have any money. And so I'm like, oh, come on, God. So, <laughs> so I said, okay. I looked. I have a $20 bill. So I go back and I said, Kenton, there's one more thing. I forgot I was going on to give you some money. I gave him the $20 bill, and, and it was just a, a beautiful thing. And, you know, just one time I got it right to fully obey God. And, and I don't know what, what that's going to look like this week. You know, sometimes I, I, I say no. I, I don't think I but, – but it's so important for all of us to live this life of saying, what can I do this week to be fully obedient to God? And it's going to look a little differently. For, for different people. Joey told a story in Sunday school about helping somebody who the radiator exploded. And, and he was willing to, they went above and beyond to help this guy out. And, and so God, if we allow him, if we open our, our minds and our eyes to see and ask God, what, what does it look like to be fully obedient? He's going to give you some neat opportunities. And so I guess I ask the question today, are, are you ready to be fully obedient to God? It's not easy to do. It goes against our, our, our selfish nature. But don't you think God is worthy of our full obedience? Oh, I do. And it, like I said, it's going to mean different things to different people. You know, for somebody here, it might mean that you need to get baptized. You've been partially following God, but you're ready to completely follow him in baptism. Maybe it means you're, you're going to fully give your finances over to him, not just a little bit of leftover. Maybe it you know, means you're just committing to daily walk with him. But you know what God is going to be putting on your heart. Are you ready to be fully obedient to God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your patience with us when sometimes we just kind of play the game of being Christians. And I, I'm sorry for the times when I have just kind of been partially obedient to you. Times when I, I've uh, just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do a $5 thing, but not a $100 thing. And so I pray that each of us, whatever it looks like for us, that you will help us to be fully, 100% sold out for you, fully obedient.